I encourage you to remain standing for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians 16, we are entering into the home stretch, which will conclude next week with the conclusion of our series thus far. First Corinthians 16, and as we look to the reading of God's word, if you'd please join me in prayer. Father of all mercies, let us stand in awe of you this day. Help us by your spirit to put your words into our hearts, to write them upon our minds. Let your word come to us in its power. Help us to receive it in love with attentive, reverent, and teachable minds, that through your word you would allow us to taste the flavor of eternal life, which you have given to us through your Son, our Savior Jesus, whose name we pray. Chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper. But there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy come, see that you put him at ease among you, For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me. For I am expecting him with the brothers. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Bit of a history lesson. In 313 AD, 1700 years ago, Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which gave legal status to Christianity in the Roman Empire. It effectively ended persecution for Christians. And then in 380 AD, the Edict of Thessalonica made Christianity the state religion of the empire. In between these two great events, for a short bit, reigned Emperor Julian, who was also called Julian the Apostate, raised in a Christian home and then turned away from that to the pagan gods of Rome. And he did his best to revive the pagan religion of the Romans and of the Greeks. He did not violently persecute Christians by any means, but he did his best with all the power of the empire to dismantle, defund, and deconstruct Christianity. And all the while, he did everything he could to promote the old gods. The wall he kept running into was the generosity of Christians towards others. We have letters that he had written to various people, and he wrote one to the director of a pagan priest, and he said this. He said, these Galileans, his derogatory word towards Christians, these Galileans devote themselves to philanthropy, hospitality, and the result is that they have led many into atheism. Now, he refers to Christianity as atheists because they did not believe in the gods. And then in another letter to a pagan priest, he said, Christian benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that they have done most to increase atheism 
I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of these virtues. And it's not enough for you alone to practice them, but so must all the priests in Galatia, without exception, either shame or persuade them into righteousness, or else remove them from their priestly office. Shaming people into righteousness. And finally, to another high priest. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. People saw the difference. The labors of the body of Christ did not go unnoticed. It's just as Jesus told his disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And Paul, commenting on his own ministry in Acts 24, he said that he had called people everywhere to repent, to turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Now, doing deeds in order to get God's favor? Oh, no, not at all. Doing good works, good deeds, because God has given his favor in Jesus. Paul, he simply assumes the connection between God's grace given to us and because of that grace, a generous heart that's cultivated by us. In the ancient world, Christians had a reputation for caring for others that confirmed the teachings they believed. And since we have been set apart for life in Christ, our lives are to be marked by a generous and sacrificial love as well. In Paul's closing remarks, he sets out uh, the issues of several practical matters, mostly those centering around people traveling to or from Corinth as a part of the ministry of the gospel. And it included an offering to be taken for the poor in Judea. These believers are called to support both works of mercy and works of ministry. Looking at these works of, of mercy... He begins, he is now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Paul had been raising money for the needy Christians in Judea, and it seemed that they had asked him questions in a letter about the offering that they were to be taking. And Paul is responding to this. And this offering is very important to the Apostle Paul. He sees it, as one writer says, as a pledge of solidarity between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. The Christians in Jerusalem, in in that area, are suffering from some economic hardship. And Paul, he calls upon the Gentile believers to help out. Now, this might still be part of the famine that's referred to in Acts chapter 11 that hit that area. And Paul, he speaks about his own going to give for this need in Acts 24. He mentions this collection in Romans 15 as well as in his second letter to the Corinthians. And he did so in person to the churches in the province of Galatia. It's a special offering beyond the normal ties to their local church. Paul's matter of tone, it kind of throws us off. He just expects it. And here's how he states it in Romans 15. He said, For Macedonia and Achaia, those are provinces in, in around Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be a service to them in material blessing. The church is one body. Jewish and Gentile Christians are one. A special need of mercy 
in one area requires generosity above and beyond their normal tithes and offerings in another area. And Paul goes on to talk about this offering. On the first day of every week, Sunday, each of you is put aside and stored up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. Notice we see a passing reference to Sunday as the gathering of the church for worship. We see that in John 20 and Acts 20 as well. Early Christians would gather on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. As the church became more Gentile, Sunday worship grew in its prominence. The resurrection of Jesus recentered the entire day of worship. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, he is the fulfillment of the Jewish Sabbath. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus ushered in a new priesthood. He's the mediator of a new covenant. And this Sunday now worship focuses on his life and his ministry. And so at this Sunday worship service, they are to set apart monies for a special collection. And, and Paul is emphasizing the great value in advanced preparation and planning. There's not to be some last-minute throw-together of fishing in your wallet or purse as the offering place going by. He's saying, I don't want an offering when I come. It should already be taken care of. And, and that phrase, as he may prosper, is essentially saying, in the meaning, it's give in keeping with your income. Those who make more are expected to give more because they have more. So give in keeping with your income. And when I arrive, he says, I will send to those who you accredit by letter. That if, if you decide that they should accompany me, they will be sent with me. Remember, this is a time when you don't wire money to a bank account. Think about it. What was collected would have to be changed and weighed out into gold because that would be the smallest unit to be able to carry it with. And you had to carry heavy gold coins a great distance. And so you needed people to go and to protect them. Think of weeks of sketchy travel with gold. That would be a very daunting task. And so the more people that you had of great integrity to make sure that this offering, which is all over these areas, make it back to Jerusalem, to Judea. And so Paul is wanting men of integrity. He's wanting the giving to be above board with great transparency. And then he says, when I go, sorry, he writes in his second letter to the Corinthians about this very offering. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he reminds them, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others your love as genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. See, Paul goes so far as to be telling them, hey, you guys owe it to your brothers and sisters. And we may go, oh, Paul, can you, can you say that? We get rather squeamish in our culture when we talk about money and giving. Paul is not squeamish about it at all. Part of their labor in the Lord is in giving. A reciprocity and a mutual exchange, that's to mark the life of the body of Christ. Giving simply is a response to grace. It is a recognition of stewardship. It all belongs to God anyways. And Paul is pointing that out. And it's to be entirely above board. There's clear accountability here. There's visibility what's taking place. Sending 
trusted men with integrity to go along with this offering, not only in making sure it gets there, but protecting it along the way. For Paul, it's quite simple. Hey, you have, they don't. So open up your wallets. And notice, though, that there's no big sales pitch here. Paul is out there and saying, and you know, and for you platinum-level givers, we will also throw in a dish towel, which the Apostle Peter wiped the sweat from his brow. <laughs> Guaranteed, you get the demons off your dishes. There's no manipulation of, if you give, if you give your seed faith, the Lord God will return it a hundred, a thousandfold. Just give, and God will bless you. And none of that is just silly. He's simply saying, There's to be generosity in helping others. That's a part of living out your Christian faith as recipients of the Lord's generosity. And when needs of mercy come forward, brothers and sisters step in to fill that need. And not just there, but also in supporting the work of ministry itself. He tells them about his plan to visit them, about coming through Macedonia, his travel plans, that he would perhaps be able to stay with them the winter so that they would be able to help him on his journey, wherever he would go. He goes on to tell them that if the Lord permits, that he will do that. But he's staying in Ephesus right now until Pentecost. A a wide door of favor for effective work has been taking place. He was there about two years in Ephesus and going to places around that region, using that as a center for the gospel. And again, our culture doesn't do things like this. Paul essentially just invites himself over. I'm coming through and you're going to take care of me. There to receive him, there to help him in the work of the ministry. Now, in our very individualistic culture, this type of forwardness is harder for us to understand. Remember, in Luke 19, Jesus is walking along and Zacchaeus is up in the tree. And what does Jesus do? He stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to stay at your house today. Bites himself over and Zacchaeus is thrilled. When you read the Bible and you see passages like this, uh, the elevated role of hospitality, we're left a little puzzled. But large parts even of our modern world understand and do way better than we do. There's an expectation of hospitality, of receiving others. And what makes Paul's travel plans a little more poignant is that he knows there's factions in the church in Corinth that would rather not receive him. And so when Timothy's coming, he gives more instructions see to it that you put him at ease for he's doing the work of the lord whether it's paul apollos or peter timothy whoever they're doing the work of the lord he goes on says let no one despise him help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for i'm expecting him with the brothers and that's part of his instruction about timothy in the next verse he talks about apollos you see unchecked The factions in the church will hurt the ministry of the church. And Paul knows that. And how do you deal with these factions? Well, part of it is in receiving others, even those that maybe are not part of the group that you wanted to come along. Receive them. Being of service to the people of God, it's a labor of our Christian faith. A response to grace says, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for God's people. It's a willingness to serve others, for we are one body in Christ. 
Now, the Corinthians abounded in spiritual gifts, part of their problem. Paul says, you're rich, you're fat. And Paul reminds them, these gifts, they're not for you. They're for everyone else. That's what gifts are for. They're meant to be given. Not only that, it's simply more than a matter of thinking deep thoughts about God, but actually doing something with those thoughts, serving others. And nowhere along the way can you go, well, you know, that's just not my gift. No, there's a need. You, you step towards it. As Christians, we cultivate a generous heart that leads to a generous lifestyle. Why? Because we are to reflect our Savior Jesus. Real change, it comes from the inside out. Opening up your wallet is an act of sanctification. Supporting the work, doing the work of ministry is an act of sanctification. It's a part of what we've been called to, and it changes us in the doing. I worked in a lumber mill, saving up for seminary, and one of my coworkers, he and I were, were talking, and we were talking about, about religion and those sorts of things. And he immediately, he told me, as I'm sure you've heard from many people, I don't like organized religion. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, and he figured out that he could distill the major religions of the world into three basic philosophical principles. He said, don't hurt other people. Do the gist of the Ten Commandments, which he meant the last six. But hey, six out of ten, that's, that's still not too bad. And give to the needy. No. Don't hurt people. Do the Ten Commandments. Be basically moral and give to the needy. And he said, these three things, in his opinion, humble opinion, summarize Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Of course, when anybody tells you that all paths lead to God, that's a sure way of knowing that that person has not looked into those paths very seriously. It's sentimental ignorance. And I asked him, okay, so do you really give money to the poor? He's very honest. He kind of went, well, no, but I probably should. And his religion for dummies He could not live up to even this simplified form. And more than that, he actually was co-owner of a pawn shop. I thought, give to the poor, take, okay. (laughs) But even if, even if my co-worker had fulfilled this very basic form of religion, had he labored with the last of his strength, of his body for the betterment of humanity, apart from Christ, he would have labored in vain. Paul makes no mistake about this. The Bible is very clear. God is a debtor to no man. Our labor in Christ is a response to his generous grace. If you do not know Jesus Christ in this way, you are still in your sins. No amount of labor, no amount of pious wishes, no amount of sentimental reflection will do you any good. Jesus on the cross was the price of his labor of love for us. He paid a debt he did not owe for us who owed a debt we could not pay. And that is the summary of the good news. Jesus did what we could not. And in that doing, He has sent His Spirit to dwell in us. 
And in this life, we are called to put on this newness of Christ, even while we put off the oldness of our sinful desires. And this includes what we think and what we believe in the actions that go with them. That those two things are wedded together in Christianity. They're never meant to be taken apart. Emperor Julian was frustrated that his attempts to make pagan Rome great once more was not working because these Christians were making such a name for themselves in the love they showed to other people in very tangible and real ways. It demonstrated that they put their money where their mouth was, that there was some truth worth listening to that changed these people so much that they were willing to help people who didn't belong to them, strangers even. And that gave them an audience. People were like, nobody's doing that. What makes you do this? We all know and we all confess that ours is a culture built on consumerism. We know that. It's in the air we breathe. Whether we like it or not, we just are instilled with it. And we use this word a lot, narcissism. It's one of those words that sort of spun up in our lexicon in the last 10, 15 years, more and more. The reason is, is that we have made a system that encourages and rewards this type of selfish behavior. Isn't that we're just recognizing it more? We produce more of it. Other cultures and such can see that. One of the complaints that you'll hear about Americans particularly is, is that. They may not use that word, but it's basically saying, yeah, you guys really are narcissists. You really think about yourselves a lot. That's a part of that consumeristic culture. Generosity is not an Instagram post of doing something good in the picture that other people can see. Generosity is an outflow of the good news of Jesus storming in and breaking down the bank vaults of our heart. It's a largeness of heart that longs for others to hear the good news of Jesus through the ministry of the word. A largeness of heart that sees someone in need and comes alongside to help them. Because they too are a person made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus has set us free from a self-centered heart. There is joy and a delight in being able to see beyond ourselves. But we know the old self, the flesh, does not go quietly into the night. There's a pitched battle of our hearts every time we are trying to die to self and to serve the needs of someone else. And as we cultivate that kind of heart, it does become easier. It does, but there is a battle that is waged. And the generous heart that the Lord gives to us in that sanctification is used by Him, as it was in the second and third century, to capture the hearts and the imaginations of the world that sunk into itself. That Jesus has set us free. And particularly in such a consumeristic society that we live in, when you live differently than that, it gets people's attention. 
They're like, huh, that's different. Tell me more about that. Because I'm not really sure about the truth of the Jesus stuff, but the way you're living, there's something about that that's really attractive to me. There's something about that I wish that were true. Can you tell me more? That's the bringing together of our faith and our action and and allowing the generosity of God to pour out of us into one another. Because we really do believe Jesus changes everything. He changes our hearts. That we are our brothers and sisters united by faith in one baptism, one Lord, one spirit. And so if, if one is in need of mercy, another says, you know, I can meet that need. There are those who are, are beyond and, and they haven't heard the, the fullness of the good news of Jesus. They're like, how can we go about to make sure that they've heard that? How can we support that work? That's the life of everyday ordinary believers in every part of the globe. And as Jesus has said, they will know you are my disciples because of how you love one another. How we demonstrate the reality that God is our Father. That he has not counted our sins against us. That we have been set free. And those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we ask then indeed you would continue to cultivate in us hearts that are large towards others. Father, a generous spirit. And Lord, that you would continue enabling us to put to death the flesh, to live and keep in step with your spirit. That he would continue to work by, with, and through your word, encouraging us to reflect the image and the likeness of Jesus. Change us, Lord God. Use us as a means of being an aroma of life to the world around us in such desperate need of being free from themselves. We pray and ask.